basketball season in the Dowd household wrapped up last weekend. The picture that you see there, the two pictures you see on that slide, uh, that's, that's our oldest son, Max, on the left. That was before the start of the season. Back in December, he plays for his middle school basketball team. On the right, that's our youngest, Sam. That was after his last game last weekend. Uh, we feel very fortunate and we are very grateful that both of our boys had the chance to play a full season of basketball, even in the midst of a pandemic. Like many of your families, uh, sports are a big part of our family's life, soccer, basketball, baseball. From the time they were in kindergarten, our two boys played at least three seasons of sports each year, sometimes two sports in a season. We're at a time in our family's life when our family schedule very much revolves around the boys' schedules. And my wife Whitney and I uh, have um, really taken to treasuring these days with too many hours to count spent in camp chairs or on bleachers on the sidelines of practices or games because we are well aware of the fact that these days will have passed long before we're ready. Each sports season lasts from 10 to 12 weeks, sometimes longer, with a couple of hours of practice each week plus games. Every game gives the boys a chance to show what they've learned, uh, combining the nervous energy and excitement and enthusiasm that comes with playing the sports they love. And the end of every season, like right now, uh, leaves me more than just a little bit nostalgic, conscious of another season being in the books and in a reflective mood about just why it is that we spend so much time and energy in youth athletics. Between the two boys, I've coached 25 different teams, believe it or not, each with its own set of, response, of uh, personalities and quirks, each with its own set of strengths and weaknesses, with varying levels of quote-unquote success in terms of winning and losing. But regardless of the record, every single season, even the toughest ones in terms of wins and losses, every single season is an important building block in the lives of the kids who participate. Because youth athletics is not about who wins the most games or who scores the most points. I wish that all of the adults involved, coaches and parents alike, would keep that in mind at all times. Uh, we've had undefeated teams, we've had winless teams, we've had every kind of win-loss record in between, but every single team that my kids have been part of uh, have learned and grown from the season however it turned out, because youth athletics is about character formation. Now, there are lots of different ways that the character of children is formed, of course. It starts, most importantly, with the way that we raise them at home. It won't surprise you to hear that I believe the church has an important role to play. We'll talk about that shortly. School is certainly a vital component, and so are the extracurricular activities like scouting and learning a musical instrument and cheer and dance and, of course, the many different sports that our kids play. Youth athletics are about learning how to win with grace. They're about learning how to face adversity with grit. They're about sportsmanship and teamwork and uh, learning how to work with others 
towards a common goal. In sports, kids have to learn how not to worry about the refs. That's another thing that I wish all of us adults could remember at all times. I'm speaking to myself here now too. And they have to, to learn how not to blame others for whatever bad breaks come along. Uh, the great Lou Holtz, who was the head football coach at Notre Dame when I was there and who is my favorite coach in any sport ever, once said, the man who complains about the way the ball bounces is likely the one who dropped it. <laughs> and all of these lessons, it seems to me, are built upon the same foundation. At this stage of our uh, boys' young lives, both of them have spent hundreds of hours practicing and playing team sports. Yes, to build specific skills like dribbling and shooting and standing in the proper defensive stance. But much more importantly, and, and much more to the point for today, they've spent those hundreds of hours developing the, the discipline that leads to character. Discipline that will help them in all aspects of their lives. Which brings us to our subject for today. This is week three of our Lenten sermon series that we're calling Promises, Promises, based on the concept of covenant in the Judeo-Christian tradition. Throughout this season of preparation for Lent, we're focusing on the various covenants that God has made with God's people over the course of our salvation history. Because these covenants tell us a lot. They tell us about the nature of God. They tell us about the nature of our relationship with God. Uh, they tell us about how we should show up in our relationship with God. In week one, we talked about the covenant that God makes with Noah following the flood. It's a, it's a covenant that requires nothing of Noah, making it a, a covenant grounded entirely in the grace of God, revealing the gracious nature of God. And then last week, uh, Reagan talked about the covenant with Abraham. That's a covenant that reveals the importance of trust in our relationship with God. Today, we're turning to the book of Exodus. Uh, we're going to pick up the story of God's people after God has led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. God has led them to Mount Sinai where God makes with them a covenant through Moses. Now like the story about Noah and the flood a couple of weeks ago, the chances are that even if you uh, don't know all the details and even if you cannot recite them verbatim and even if you were not raised in the church, you probably know something about the Ten Commandments. We're going to read them now. This is the, the Old Testament lectionary text for today. We'll be in the book of Exodus, chapter 20, reading verses 1 through 17. Listen, friends, for the word of God as it is revealed by God's servant, the author of the book of Exodus. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation 
of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honor your father and mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of God. For the people of God. Thanks be to God. The Ten Commandments have have long held a prominent place in our faith history. They were contained in the Ark of the Covenant. You may remember that very famous 80s movie about the Ark of the Covenant. They are put on monuments, sometimes on plaques in courthouses. There are special versions for children that are sometimes used to decorate babies' rooms, uh, they're, they're a starting point for what we might call righteous living. The Decalogue, as scholars refer to it, can be broken down into two sections. You may know this. The first, the first four commandments deal with our love for God. So don't have other gods, uh, don't make idols, don't, fair, uh, don't swear false oaths in God's name, and keep the Sabbath. That's the first section. And then the final six commandments deal with our relationship with other human beings. So respect parents, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't covet your neighbor's neighbor's family or stuff. But while the Ten Commandments hold a prominent place in our faith history, it's important to remember that there are 603 additional laws that follow those first 10. The 10 commandments are just the beginning of the law of the covenant given to Moses, which comprises this very comprehensive set of rules for living, rules that remain an essential part of Jewish piety still today. For example, uh, in Israel, there are special Sabbath elevators. I didn't know this until we went to Israel. Pushing buttons is considered work for strictly observant Jews, which would be a a violation of the fourth commandment to keep the Sabbath. And so Sabbath elevators are configured with a special Sabbath mode from sunset on Friday evening to sunset on Saturday evening. They stop on each floor, thus preventing the occupant from violating the commandment not to work on the Sabbath. When I was in Israel a few years ago on a on a church trip, uh, our guide said that we definitely wanted to avoid those elevators on the Sabbath because it took forever to get to your floor. By the time of Jesus in the first century, many rabbis taught that the law could be summarized by Micah 6, 8. It's a very famous verse, do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with God. 
And during his ministry, Jesus was asked which commandment was the greatest, and he answered that the entire law could be summarized as loving God and loving neighbor. Because you see, the law of the covenant with Moses, those 613 commandments, beginning with the first 10 that hold such an important place in our tradition, those, those commandments are not the point of our relationship with God. Rules do not exist for their own sake, of course, certainly not in our faith tradition. Instead, rules help show us the boundaries. They help us understand God's will for our lives and God's will for creation. They're, they're about character formation. And they help us to develop an important trait that we should bring to our relationship with God. Discipline. The season of Lent, the, the season that we're in right now, is a time for renewing our spiritual disciplines or sometimes adding spiritual disciplines as a way of, of connecting more deeply with God. Many Christians, of course, give up something for Lent, for example, whether a favorite food. Uh, some people give up social media this time of year. Giving something up during this season of preparation for Lent or season of preparation for Easter, rather, is a form of fasting that reminds us of our dependence upon God. It's, the, it's a symbolic gesture that can be part of this character formation that we focus on during this season. Another thing that people do during Lent is to add a devotional practice or, or a, a special spiritual discipline, such as reading a, a particular devotional guide for the season or uh, reading through the Psalms over the course of the season or uh, committing to a particular prayer or meditation practice for the 40 days of Lent. Like the law of the covenant with Moses, these practices help us develop the discipline of faithful living, a discipline that helps us to form our character and helps us to live out God's will for our lives, which, as Jesus told us, is loving God and loving neighbor. And this focus on spiritual disciplines during the season of Lent reminds me of one of the coaching philosophies of perhaps the greatest college basketball coach of all time, John Wooden, who once said, Discipline yourself, and others won't need to. It's good advice, it seems to me. Of all the teams that our boys have played on in all of their sports over all of these years, uh, they've only finished first a few times. Because in every season, there's only one team whose hours and weeks and months of preparation translate into a championship, but every single one of their teams has served an important function in developing character. Every once in a while, I'll hear someone criticize the fact that, that in modern youth athletics, every kid gets a quote-unquote participation trophy. Uh, I'm sure you've heard this critique as well. That's not true for every sport by the way. But the insinuation is that we're coddling our kids, uh, that we're not teaching them about true competition, that we're not teaching them that life has winners and losers, and the sooner they figure that out, the better. It's probably not going to surprise you that I'm not a fan of that critique. Uh, first of all, because it incorrectly assumes that we're not teaching our kids to be competitive. Please, 
A visit to any local gym or soccer pitch or ball field on game day will quickly reveal just how seriously lots of people involved take these games. Uh, too seriously, in some cases, if you ask me. But more to the point for today, that criticism misunderstands why we put our kids in athletics in the first place. Taken to its logical conclusion, that critique implies that only the team who wins their last game has spent all of that time and effort in a meaningful endeavor. Which, of course, is not true. None of us believes that. It's the, it's the discipline that our kids develop along the way that matters, and it seems to me that developing discipline is worthy of encouragement and celebration. So friends, on this third Sunday in Lent, inspired by the very comprehensive covenant that God made with God's people through Moses at Mount Sinai, may we consider those things that form our character as God's faithful. And as we continue our journey toward Easter, may we devote ourselves to the disciplines that draw us closer to the God who desires nothing more than a relationship with each one of us. May it be so. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.